We're talking about the Holy Spirit today, and so I thought I would tell you a story about uh, when I was first starting out in the pastorate, because uh, early in my pastoring, I was pretty spectacularly bad at pastoring. Uh, you might think not much has changed, but uh, <laughs> no, when my, my first sermon I ever preached, I was 16 years old, and I got to preach at my grandma's church, and I, I got up there, I was so excited, I preached through my sermon, and then I realized when I got to the end of the sermon that I had not written a conclusion like, no one really taught me how to wrap things up at the end, and I guess I had skipped that day in creative writing or something like that. So I remember very specifically looking down at my notes and looking up at the congregation and saying, well, I'm out of notes, so I guess I'm done. And then I just, like, walked down and sat down. <laughs> and that was it. That was at the end of my first sermon. Uh, when I started as a youth pastor, uh, I was so proud of myself because I had designed this amazing beautiful, theologically rich exploration of the Trinity. And I was, we were starting, I was my first Bible study on a Wednesday night with my youth group. And so I sat down with them and I, I started offering them these amazing pearls of wisdom that were straight from the heart of God. And about five minutes in, I recognized the glazed look in all of their eyes that I was like way over their heads and I had completely lost them. And they couldn't care less about all of this brilliant wisdom that I was sharing with them, right? I was terrible at teaching. Uh, and and those, those are obviously some skills you can learn, right? But, but, but if I'm being really honest, uh, I also had some pretty, pretty big character problems when I was starting out as a pastor. I had the good fortune, I suppose, to begin pastoring about the time that blogging had just gotten cool. And so those of you who have ever uh, remember the days of Zenga would know that I had a Zenga page. If you don't know that is, don't worry, it's just a blog. And... Um, I had a Zanga page, and, and, and blogging can be dangerous because it's, it's very easy to set yourself up on this sort of self-made pedestal where you can look down at the world and hide behind your computer screen and really just judge people really well. And that's what I did a lot. Like, I, uh, I, I, I was pretty cruel and unkind uh, in the blogging. And in, in case you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. I actually almost got fired over it. Uh, the, the pastor of the church where I was a youth pastor actually called me into his office and sat me down, and he had printed out... Uh, blog posts that I had written and had highlighted spots, and he was just like, you can't say these kinds of things and call yourself a pastor. Uh, and of course, at the time, I didn't listen to him. I, I, uh, I believed in free speech and don't censor me and how dare you and you know all that, but I really wanted to keep my job. So I toned down the way I spoke online. And today, of course, I can look back on that and say he was 110% right. I had some deep, deep character issues that were manifesting themselves in how I wrote uh, towards other people on the internet, right? That wasn't the issue. The issue was the character that I had inside of myself that, that thought that it was okay to, to say the kinds of things I was saying and treat people the way I was treating them, even digitally, right? That was, that was the issue. And, and I'm glad to be able to say today that I have changed a lot, like in the way that I think towards people and the way that I act towards people. And so what I wanted to talk about with you today, what we're going to celebrate together today and really dig into today, is the good news that people can change. Yeah, because I think a lot of times in our culture, we hear this, people never change, right? People don't change. If you think people can change, you're just fooling yourself. We hear that in relationships, we hear that in politics, we hear that all kinds of places. So what we're going to talk about today is the reality, the good news that people can change. And we're going to talk about how people change, the fact that it is only through God's Holy Spirit working in our lives that we change. And then uh, we're going to talk about our role in that. If it's the Spirit who changes people, not us, then what do we do? What are we supposed to do? What does it look like to be a church uh, that, that really is committed to believing in the Holy Spirit? So we're going to begin this morning by celebrating the new life that God gives us, the transformation that works within us, and then we're going to dig into the Scripture. So would you stand with me and sing as we celebrate God's saving work in our lives? Our series this summer is called Believe, 
and we are working our way through the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the oldest statements that we have of what Christians believe, the, the beliefs that, that make us the people of God. And we've been talking about belief in terms not of a barrier to entry or like an exam that you have to ace before you're allowed to be a part of us, but rather we've been putting these statements of belief ahead of us. We've been saying that these are uh, the people that we are becoming. We are learning to believe these things. God is helping us to understand why these things are true and how they make us uh, fully human the way God created us to be. So we began by talking about God the Father as the creator. And then we've spent the last several weeks talking about Jesus, uh, not only as, as God, but as fully human. And last week we ended by, by saying that we believe Jesus is going to be coming back. And so for the rest of the, the weeks in this series, we're, we're talking, uh, what we're really talking about is how we live between now and when Jesus comes back, whenever, whenever that's going to be. Right? Well, wh- what are we supposed to do in the meantime while we wait? And, and so all of these next statements of belief are about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us and enables us to live in the present as the people of God, as we're waiting for Jesus' return. So today, the statement that we're unpacking is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean as a church to say, we believe in the Holy Spirit? And this is, this is tricky. I think of all of the persons of the Trinity, the Spirit is the one that we struggle with the most. We, we can get our minds around God the Father, right? On a throne in heaven, sort of creating and ruling over everything. Like, that makes sense in our heads. Uh, we really like Jesus, God who became us, who came to earth, who lived among us, who taught uh, who challenged the powerful and comforted the afflicted, and who died for our sins. Like, those are the things that we can, we, we understand Jesus, like, probably the best. The Spirit is the one that we sort of scratch our heads and say, I'm not exactly sure who the Spirit is or what the Spirit does, especially if you're from a little bit more traditional uh, churches that maybe call the Spirit the Holy Ghost, right? Then, it, then it's maybe a little spooky, right? Like, what, what's going on there? So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's important to note, right out, right out of the gate, uh, the Spirit is God. Right? The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So anything that we say about God, uh, the Father, or about Jesus, the Son, is also true of the Holy Spirit and vice versa. Um, the Spirit is not like a sidekick or an accessory or something like that. The Spirit is God as fully as our Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. Uh, and what, w- one thing that, that we really, I want us to hold on to today as we work through everything we're going to be talking about is that the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And as Sue said when she talked about the resurrection, the Spirit is the one who lives within us and gives us that same power of resurrection in our daily lives. Another way to say that is that the Spirit is the one who transforms us. The Spirit is the one who brings God's life. So I want want us to hold on to that as we work through uh, what we're going to be seeing about the Spirit today. Okay, is that the Spirit is the one who transforms us and gives us life. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 16. Uh, if you grabbed one of the free Bibles out of the back, this is on page 649. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please keep, keep that Bible. Consider it a gift from us. We'd love for you to, to keep it. Uh, John 16 is right in the middle of Jesus' farewell address. They call it that because it's during the Last Supper uh, when Jesus has shared a meal with his disciples. He's washed their feet, and now he's giving them some final words. They don't understand that they're his final words, right? But he's about to be arrested and crucified. And so in John 15 uh, is where he, he told them that the new commandment he's giving them is to love one another as I have loved you. That's what he said there. And now in John 16, he's talking about the fact that he is about to leave them. 
And he tells them that it's actually good that he's leaving because he's going to send someone that he calls the advocate, okay, which, which when he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read through uh, these, these verses that John, where John shares about the Holy Spirit, what Jesus says about the Spirit and why he's leaving, and then we're going to talk about what it means for us that the Spirit has come. So let's believe, uh, begin in verse 5, John chapter 15. Jesus says, Now I am going away to the one who sent me. He's talking about the Father. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. You grieve, you're saying you're sad that I'm leaving, right? But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So they're right there at the end. Jesus is sort of outlining the, the relationship among the Trinity, right? All through John's gospel, Jesus has kept insisting that he doesn't do anything on his own power or by his own volition, but he only does what the Father tells him and what the Father gives him. And he says, and the Spirit's the same. The Spirit's not out on his own doing rogue stuff. The Spirit's doing what I get from the Father, the Spirit gets through me. So, so we're all one. We're all working together in this. Then you notice what he said. He said the Spirit is the one who convicts the world of truth. The Spirit is the one who demonstrates God's righteousness to the world. The Spirit is the one that convinces us of Jesus' return, of the coming judgment. The Spirit is the one who does these things. The Spirit is the one who does these things. And so that's why Jesus says, it's actually, it's actually good for me to go, right? Because while I'm here, I'm just one person, right? I, I, am, I am embodied, and like all of you, I can only be in one place at a time, right? Think about how big the world is. And think about the fact that when Jesus came, just try to, just try to imagine all of the people spread out all across Europe, right? All through the Middle East, all through Africa, all through Asia and Oceania, all through North and South America. Think of all of the people that were on the earth when Jesus came was alive. How many do you think, total, do you think he talked to? I don't know, generously like 500,000? That's probably way too many, right? Of all the people in the world, that's all he could do because he was embodied. He's one person. He was human like us. He took on our limitations. He says, so it's actually better for me to leave because when I leave, then the Spirit can come. And the Spirit has no boundaries. The Spirit has no borders. The Spirit can go anywhere and everywhere and live in every person and transform them, right? I'm one body in one place, but the Spirit can go everywhere. The Spirit can change everyone. See, this is where we get hung up because we so often want to take the Spirit's role for ourselves. We want to convict people of sin, right? We want to point out what they're doing wrong and insist that they change. But again and again and again, the scripture insists that faith is not self-help. Being transformed, getting this new life from God, it's not something that if you just work a little harder, you can do on your own. 
Or if you have a friend who's going to hold you accountable, you can do it. Like, we are not capable. That's, that's sort of the bad news of sin, right? Is that we are not capable of freeing ourselves from the weight of sin, from the consequence of sin on our own as humans. We need God to do that. And again and again and again, the scriptures say only God can really change us. Only God can bring dead things back to life. Only God can do that. So we, as people, we need to stop trying to do the Spirit's job, to play God, to convict and judge, and all of those things that we just read Jesus says the Spirit does. We need to stop doing that and focus on our job, which Jesus gave us in John 15, right? Love one another as God has loved you. Now, I know that that feels like I'm saying, well, we just do nothing, right? We sit around and hold hands and sing kumbaya and love each other, right? But that is, that is not love, right? That is not love. What, we're, what I want to talk about just for a few moments is, is very specifically how we can love each other the way Christ loved us while at the same time letting the Spirit do what the Spirit does. And so I want to I introduce you to a term, you may have heard it before, you may have not, but in, in psychology and counseling, they call it uh, holding space, okay? To love each other well and to trust the Spirit to do what the Spirit does is for us to hold space for each other. And what holding space means is that we create space for each other relationally where people feel safe enough to kind of let their defenses down, let their guard down, so that they can actually hear the Spirit calling them to change. Okay, we, we hold a space open, right? We create a relational space. What does that look like? Well, it has several, uh, several factors. First of all, it looks like trusting people, okay? I've been a pastor for a while now, and I can tell you that I have never met anyone who was not aware of sin in their own life, right? We sort of have this idea that people don't know when they're sinning, and we, they need us to, like, tell them. But I've, I've found that that's never the case. If it looks like that, what's happening is someone has their defenses up, right? They don't trust you. And so when you try to come at them, they get defensive, like we all tend to when we don't feel safe, right? What I've found is that when, when I have a relationship with someone where they feel safe enough with me to be honest, they know exactly what they need to change in their lives. Right? They know what they're doing wrong. They know the habits and the behaviors they have that are toxic, that are poisonous. And if they don't, well, again, we just read Jesus say that the Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin, right? And what can also often happen is, is if I, you know, I sort of know a surface-level sin that I'm working on, and I begin to heal from that, and it reveals something deeper that was actually a root cause. And if I, I found in my own life that the more I lean into faith, the more the Spirit is faithful to reveal those things in me and to point them out to me and say, these are the things that you need to work on. So we trust. We trust other people to know what they need to work on, and we trust that the Spirit will convict them of sin. That's not our job. It also looks like being patient. Uh, a bad relationship, a marriage or a dating relationship, or even a friendship that has some toxic habits in it, well, that doesn't get fixed overnight because you learned a lot of bad habits together. And unlearning those can be a painful process. If there is a, a bad habit or a toxic habit in your life, that again is not something that typically goes away overnight just because you said a prayer. Right? That's, not, that's not usually how healing works. You know, someone with a temper problem, they don't just all of a sudden become a chill, cool dude overnight. 
It just doesn't work that, it just doesn't work that way. And so part of holding space is committing to be patient with the people that you're holding space for and understanding that what you're concerned with as someone who loves them is that they're taking the next right step in their faith, not that tomorrow they're five miles down the road. Right? That's what we want. We want to wave a magic wand and somehow just instantly things get fixed. But that's not most of the time how it works. And if we're going to hold space for people, we need to understand that. We need to look for the small incremental movements of faith, movements of healing, not expect that just because I was nice to them one day or I said a prayer one time that they're going to be a completely different person tomorrow. Right? We have to be patient. And again, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the same way that God is patient with us. Right? Even in our patience, we're imitating God. Uh, another thing we really have to do, and this is hard for me, I don't know if it's hard for you, but it's checking our egos. Because we, I get this like savior complex, right? When I say, I'm like, oh, I can, I can fix them. Right? And then if things don't go according to my plans that I generate in my head, I get offended. As though their choice not to heal or not to heal in the way I think they should be healing is some kind of personal affront to me. Right? I am not Master Yoda. You are not Master Yoda, right? We are friends, co-laborers that God has called alongside this person to be a partner in their journey. And it is not my responsibility and it is not your responsibility to change someone. That is what the Spirit does. Stop me if I'm getting repetitive. So we have to be patient. We have to check our egos And if we can do these things, if we really can wait for the Spirit, then we will begin to see life bursting forth. We will begin to see true, genuine transformation happening. Not just behavior modification, right? Not just someone's trying harder to be different, but actually being transformed from the inside out, being made new, because that's what the Spirit does. It's the resurrection power at work within us. So marriages really can be made new, right? Habits really can be changed. And we see that over and over and over. But it, it takes a commitment on our part to be who God called us to be, which is people who love by holding space, right? People who are rigorously committed not to play God, not to appoint ourselves as judge, jury, and executioner, right? But to commit to be a partner and a friend in that journey with that person because we love them, not because they're a project for us, right? But because we're hoping, we're actually hoping too, that as we hold space for them, they'll hold space for us. And this is so, I can't overemphasize how frustrating this is because we are not in control of the process, right? We are not in control of the process. In uh, John chapter 3, earlier in John's gospel, Jesus warns a religious leader who has come to him asking questions. He warns him about what happens when you live a life in the Spirit. Here's what he says in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So it's that, you know, that natural birth and then that spiritual rebirth when we become new in Christ. He said humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind, and I hear the Greek word wind is the same as the Greek word spirit. So he, Jesus is doing a play on words. He's like, think about the wind, right? The wind blows wherever it wants to go. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you cannot explain how people are born of the spirit. 
Jesus says the Spirit is this wild, unpredictable force because the Spirit is God, right? And God does not owe us explanations. God does not owe us timelines. And that is, for a control freak like me, incredibly aggravating, right? It would be nice if someone said, hey, pastor, can you disciple me? And I say, yep, let me fire off an email to the big guy. And I get like a timeline of growth. And I say, great, I know exactly how to do this so that you grow the way that you want and I want. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because God is not my secretary. God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe you anything. The Spirit is this wild, unpredictable, beautiful force. So here's the good news in that. While we don't have timelines, while we don't have explanations, what we have is an assurance in the faithfulness and character of God. Because the Spirit is God, fully God, completely God, equal to God, because the Spirit is God, we know that the Spirit is faithful because God is faithful. We know that the Spirit is trustworthy because God is trustworthy. We know that the Spirit can bring new life because that is what God does. God brings new life. So while we don't have timelines, we have faith that God is good and that God wants to bring new life and that God will bring new life because that's who God is. So we can put, we can put ourselves in a posture of uh, lovingly holding space for people so that they can go. And I can tell you, this, this is what happened to me at that last church, at that, that first church I had. There, that was far from the only bump that I had in my early years of ministry. And they consistently, relentlessly held space for me and made allowances for my mess-ups and, and for my character flaws. They relentlessly held space so that I could grow. And it didn't mean that they never said anything. I mean, we started today by talking about how I almost got fired, right? My pastor drew, draw, uh, pulled me in and drew very clear boundaries for me and said, there are things that are not acceptable and you've got to stop them, you know, or there will be consequences. Those kinds of conversations are appropriate. It is important as we hold space to have good boundaries, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole idea. If you hold a space, you're creating a boundary, right? Space without boundaries is just endless nothingness. So having boundaries is good. This is, again, this is not like, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship, just hang in there a little longer, right? That's not what this is. But that church held space for me, and I was able to, to grow as I continued to lean into my own faith journey, and as the Spirit continued to work, and I continued to have people around me, young and old, from all across the board, who were committed to me in the same way that I was committed to them. Catalyst, as a church, continues to hold space for me to continue to be transformed by this wild, unpredictable, beautiful spirit. And I have seen so many of you grow and transform in these deep, life-altering ways that go so far beyond just surface modifications, not because someone got in your face, but because people loved you and held a space for you where you felt safe enough to be honest. Honest with each other, honest with yourself, and honest with God. And when you become honest with God, that's when real change begins to happen. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within you. And so we've seen relationships healed. We've seen lives transformed. We've seen people discover calling that they never would have imagined because the Spirit is at work. And we have no idea what it looks like. 
right? It looks different all the time. It's so unpredictable, but there's a beauty in that because that's how we know it's not just us trying really hard, right? So what does it look like for us to be a church that believes in the Holy Spirit? Well, it looks like believing that there is a difference between life and death, that there, are way, there is a way that leads to life and there are ways that lead to death. And we want to be a church that's very clear about that. But we understand that what makes the difference between life and death is the Spirit, not our efforts. It's only the Spirit that makes the difference. What does it look like to be a church that believes in the Holy Spirit? Well, it means believing that we are not in control, that we are not steering the ship, that God is the one who is at work within us. And what we are committed to is not to be judge and jury over our peers, but to lovingly hold space so that people can encounter the same transformative spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and that lives within us. Where better to encounter the spirit than when the spirit has gathered God's people together? A whole room full of people indwelled by the spirit. What better place, right? And that's why if we really are a church that believes in the Holy Spirit, then we want to be a place, a spirit-filled community that is the safest place in the world for sinners to be. Because if this is really the place where our source of life is, then we want to be that kind of a space. Catalyst wants to create spaces where everyone can be a part, where everyone can feel welcome, where everyone can feel safe enough to let their guard down and start being honest with us, with themselves, with God. What does it look like to believe in the Holy Spirit? It looks like believing that God is at work. And even though we can't predict or schedule, or put it on a spreadsheet. We see life bursting forth, and we celebrate that. And we trust that the same God that we read about in the scriptures, that we've experienced in our own lives, is at work in everyone. And that if we can hold space for them, they will hold space for us, and we are all being made more and more and more into the image of Jesus. We're going to come to the communion table today. Because this is a reminder of God's character and God's faithfulness. You want to know how you can trust God to be God? Because Jesus trusted God to be God. In his humanity, he, he went to death. Trusting that God would bring life from it. At this meal, the same meal where he told us about sending the Holy Spirit. He broke bread and offered it to us as his body. He said, take it and eat it. That same meal, he took a cup of wine and passed it to his followers, and he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. It's poured out as a new covenant between you and God, this God who always is faithful to his covenants. Drink it. And so we come to the table today to imitate Jesus' faithfulness. We die to ourselves. We pick up our crosses and follow him. We die to our illusion of control. We follow him and we trust that as we are faithful to God's way, as we are faithful to be the people that he called us to be, that God will be faithful to us and that God will bring new life, that God will bring transformation because that's what God does. So you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. If you are a person who is willing to trust God, if you are willing to be honest with God, and allow God to transform you. 
I don't care if the first time you've ever taken communion in your life or the five millionth time you've ever taken communion, right? If you're willing to trust that God is continuing to transform you, then you're welcome to come to the table this morning. Uh, throughout this whole series, before we've approached the table, we've said the creed together. And we do this for a couple of reasons. Again, it's not so that you know what you have to have all figured out before you're allowed to be a part of Catalyst, right? That's not, what, that's not why we say the creed together. We say the creed together because by, do, by saying the creed together, we are reminding ourselves of who we are, what makes us God's people. We're declaring to the world what it means to be a people of God, and we are trusting the wisdom of 2,000 years worth of Christians who have said that this is the way that we have found to life. So if you stand with me, we're going to say the creed together, then I'm going to pray for us, and then as you're ready, you're welcome to come and receive communion. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. God, what a beautiful thing that we have been reminded of this morning, that, that even when your son Jesus left us, he did not leave us alone, that in fact you came to us in the person of your Holy Spirit, and you convict us of sin, you show us where we miss the mark, as Debbie said in her sermon. You show us where we miss the mark, where we fail to bear your image faithfully in this world. You show us what a good whole, fully human life looks like, and you give us the power to live into that life. We come to your table this morning as a people learning to trust you, a people learning to trust that you will do the things that you promised in your scriptures you will do, because you are faithful and you are good and you are worthy of our trust. And so we bring with us all of our judgments and all of our condemnations, all of our need for control, all of our desire uh, to, to be the one running the show. We bring those things with us and we set them at the foot of your cross. And we receive from you these wafers and these, this juice and we pray that they become a spiritual food. We pray that we, that we can see the grace to leave from this place walking after you, trusting you, that we might hold space for the people in our community. That when they come here, as Oscar said in the video, that they would immediately know that they are welcomed here, that this is a safe place for them to let down their walls, to let down their guard, and to encounter the transformative, life-saving power of your spirit. Because we believe in your Holy Spirit, and we believe that your spirit is our only hope. We offer these prayers this morning and we approach your table in a spirit of trust, a spirit of hope, and in the name of your son, Jesus.